This film is lit. The podcast where we finally settle the score on one simple question. Is the book really better than the movie? I'm Brian, and I have a film degree, so I watch the movie, but don't read the book. And I'm Katie. I have an English degree, so I do things the right way and read the book before we watch the movie. So prepare to be wowed by our expertise and charm as we dissect all of your favorite film adaptations and decide if the silver screen or the written word did it better. So turn it up, settle in, and get ready for spoilers, because this film is lit. Have you ever thought what it might be like to be squashed flat by a pancake? It's cloudy with a chance of meatballs, and this film is lit. Hello and welcome back to This Film is Lit, the podcast where we talk about movies that are based on books, and sometimes children's books, and sometimes very loosely based on, uh, based, uh, I'm going to go out on a limb and take a little stab in the dark here. Before we get started on this week's episode, we announced in our prequel episode, and we want to give a reminder here in our main episode, which we tend to have more listeners in, which makes sense. I get it. I don't listen to all the prequel episodes of all the podcasts I listen to, so I get it. Uh, we have a Patreon now. If you visit our Patreon, uh, you can support us. We had we announced the levels in the prequel episode. They're actually slightly cheaper. We adjusted them um, then, uh, before they even went live, really, technically. Um so uh, there's one. The first level is two dollars. Uh, that gives you early access and ad free. If we ever do have ads on the show, right now we don't, but you get it early access the night before. So this episode I will be publishing in the Patreon RSS feed when I get done getting it edited Tuesday night. Normally the episode will come out Wednesday morning. We've kind of shifted. Also spoilers have kind of been shifting our production schedule to Wednesdays instead of Tuesdays. That's the two dollar level. At the five dollar level, you get all that per month. You get all that stuff plus uh, bonus content, which right now the first thing we put out was a discussion on the first couple episodes of The Mandalorian and the half for first half of the first season of Dollface on Hulu. Uh, we're going to see Knives Out tomorrow night. We're going to probably record a discussion of that, which will be some bonus content. Um, certain big movies like Rise of Skywalker and stuff will still put out in the main feed. Mm-hmm. Anything that's like or if it's like a relevant like the Grindelwald, Crimes of Grindelwald episode that even yeah. if we had had Patreon at that time, I think we probably would have put that in the main feed. But some of the other stuff like Knives Out, other discussion stuff we'll put in the uh, the patron only feed. Um, so, yeah, and that's at the five dollar level, plus all the stuff at the two dollar level and then our fifteen dollar per month level. Which is our Hall of Fame. We'll come up with a better name for it, which we have one person in right now. Alina, I yeah. believe is their name. Shout out to Alina. You're amazing. You get all of that other stuff. Plus, you get uh, uh, suggestions. Uh, What was it? Priority. Priority suggestions. For people that are at that level, we will put their suggestions at the front of the queue. uh, And probably that number will stay reasonably low, so it'll be relatively easy to put those people's uh, suggestions first. And... You get a shout out in every prequel episode. Everybody else at the two five dollar tier, a two and five dollar tier, you'll get a shout out when you sign up in the prequel episode. But fifteen dollar patrons, you'll always get a shout out. And this special fifteen dollar patron, being our, who was all, they were also our first patron, mm-hmm. so they get a special shout out in the main episode for Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. That's it. So go check out our Patreon. If you just search for, I think it's patreon.com slash this film is lit. I think if not, you can just search this film is lit and you'll find us. And that would be awesome. We would really, really appreciate it if you could support us uh, because we're struggling millennials working that <laughs> working that hustle. 
And this is just another thing we do. So if you enjoy us and want to support us, that'd be amazing. Thank you. All right, Katie, we don't have Guess Who this week, Mm-mm. but we do have Let Me Sum Up. Let me explain. No, there is too much. Let me sum up. Uh, and you have a little summary of the book. I'm going to let you do that, and then I'm going to do a brief summary of the movie. But while you do the book, I'm going to close my ears so I don't get any spoilers for any of my questions. Go. A grandfather tells his grandchildren the best bedtime story ever, a real tall tale about the island of Chew and Swallow, where no one ever buys groceries because food and drink rain down from the sky. Everything is great until one day the weather takes a turn for the worst, sending down random food combinations that gradually get larger and larger. Eventually, the citizens of Chew and Swallow are forced to abandon the town in search of somewhere safer, somewhere with grocery stores. All right, that is Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, the short and illustrated children's book. I'm going to tell you what goes on in the movie. Spoilers abound. I'm not going to go into a ton of detail, but there probably will be a few few spoilers. Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs is about a character named Flint something that I can't recall. Uh, who is a scientist. He, we see we first introduced him as a child. He wants to be a scientist. He has goes through, we get a montage of all of his failed experiments that he's done over the years. Uh, but eventually he does, as he grows up and becomes, I assume, like a teenager, late, early 20s maybe. Late like early 20s, right, in the, right around think, the college yeah. age, I would, I would guess, based on kind of the relationship with the dad. He has a successful invention, which is this machine that turns water into food. Uh, but it kind of has a... Some nonsense goes on with it. It ends up shooting into the sky, causing food to rain down on this their town, this small town that he lives on in with his dad called uh, Swallow something. Swallow Falls. Swallow Falls, which is like a little island. Um, and this ends up putting Swallow Falls on the map and tourists are going to come and visit because of the raining food. And he can he's now become an important uh, and respected and, you know. VIP member of this society or of this little town. Uh, he's become famous and he's he's sort of eating it up. Um, but uh, ultimately, the machine starts overloading, causing because uh, he's been using it too much and doing too much on t- with the machine. The food starts all of a sudden kind of runs out of control. It gets bigger and bigger and bigger, creating this giant maelstrom of food in the sky that's going to basically ultimately destroy the whole world by like crushing it with food i think is the idea yeah i think that's the idea um but initially at least it's gonna destroy swallow falls which is not great well at this point it's chew and swallow because they've changed the name um because the sign gets replaced because they got food now uh and then (laughs) well it's food other than sardines uh and then so he has to figure out how to save the day he teams up with a plucky uh weather reporter named sally sam 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 uh, and uh, her photographer, news photographer, and the uh, the baby Brent, the the mascot from the Sardine Company, uh, and they go fly up in his ship to save the day. Some more nonsense ensues. Ultimately, they do save the day. Uh, Flint gets the girl, and the movie ends. That's pretty much it. That's pretty much it. That's pretty much it. All right. So there you go. That's what happens in Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. Now we're going to talk about some of the details and get into, was that in the book? Nicholas Flamel is the only known maker of the Philosopher's Stone. The what? Honestly, don't you two read? All right. So I have a handful of questions. Uh, We're probably going to bang through this pretty quick because I'm assuming most of this is probably not in the book from what Mm. you've said about the book. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that a lot of this stuff is uh, additions for the film. 
Um, but we're going to go through it anyways. First off, Flint, the main character. Do we have a protagonist in this book? Or are we just sort of, or yeah, what's the deal? Is there a protagonist? Uh, no, not really. The book's more of a concept. Um, it's a frame story. Uh, the idea is that it's a grandpa telling his grandchildren a bedtime story about a town where food rains from the sky. Does the grandpa have anything in common with Flint? No. Okay. Uh, all right, cool. Uh, Swallow Falls, the island town that is stuck eating nothing but sardines, is, I guess, one, is there this, like, little island town that they live on, and two, does that island town eat nothing but sardines? Um, it is an island town, but it's chew and swallow from the get-go. Okay. And it rains food from the sky from the get-go oh spoilers for the my later questions oh sorry (laughs) at least i assume that's spoilers i think i asked it well we'll see so uh okay so the sardines thing not a thing Mm -mm. boy all right are any do and this is kind of my follow-up eventually once we start getting introduced to more characters like sam sparks who is the weather uh person baby brent who is this mascot of the sardine company and the mayor uh, do we have any like named characters that are persistent throughout this book? No, we don't. Okay. You know, what's funny is that so it sounds like this book doesn't have a story. It does not. It's funny because we were talking about in the prequel episode how the studio, that was their big notes for this film. I know. Was, like, and I thought that was story. really funny when you said that because the book truly does not yeah, have a story. The studio came down on them and they were like, you guys, this story is pretty weak. There's not enough of a story here. And... They're like, yeah, read the book, probably. <laughs> I mean, there's a story in this movie. I, I think, I mean, I don't know if, it's weird after watching it. I don't think I'd say that it doesn't have, that, that like, yeah. I mean, the narrative's not particularly interesting. Like, it's not particularly, like, novel or, like, right. you know. Yeah, it's. Not a lot going on with it, I guess, was the point. Like, yeah. it's just sort of a traditional, like, oh, here's this character who wants to, to become, you know, well-known for a thing thing gets out of control he has to stop thing the end pretty much thing gets stopped the end yeah (laughs) does anybody in this book have permanent polymer spray on shoes no (laughs) like flint does in the movie because i thought that was a fun thing in the movie where he as a child he invents spray on shoes but then can never get them off and has them for the rest of his life apparently they grow with him yeah apparently they do grow with him um, but he has these rubber shoes on for his entire life. No, that's not in the book. Cool. You already answered it. So the food just just naturally rains from the sky. Because my question was in the movie, it, the the reason the food starts raining from the sky is because uh, this character's uh, food creation machine goes haywire and launches up into the atmosphere and starts spewing out food. But it that's not what happens in the book no the book doesn't explain why it rains food. literally no explanation no, it, it just, just rains yeah. food there all right in the movie uh they deal with the leftovers on the ground because most of the, pe- the people eat the food as it falls but they deal with the leftovers by having this giant machine that like scoops the leftovers onto a plate and then catapults it it in into like a dump mm-hmm. on the outskirts of the city that they've dammed up mm-hmm. which is terrible <laughs> waste management but uh which i come i mean I, it's part of the point but and because it, it comes back to haunt them eventually but yeah uh is that happen in the book is there um, a, that machine there is a machine that is looks similar yeah um it doesn't i thought i remember seeing a, an image like in a f- social post or yeah, something I posted okay a maybe that's why i thought to ask media. this 
Because I saw on social media that there was a post that looked like that machine exactly. Yeah. Um, it, it is that machine, but it doesn't launch the food in the book. They don't just like launch it into a dump or a dam. What do they do with the food? Um, or is that a later thing? Yeah, I'm going to talk more about that later. Put a pin in that one. <laughs> is there a jello castle? Because in the book, <laughs> sorry, in the movie, Flint creates a giant jello mold castle for Sam because she says she likes jello in the beginning. Yeah. And it's pretty dope. Other than the weird part where they like would die because she jumps into the swimming pool. There's like a horrifying shot in that moment where she where he like belly flops and he like, oh, why'd I do that? And then we cut to an under the jello, like under the pool shot. And she's in a cannonball stuck like 10 feet deep in the jello. And I'm like, oh, no. Oh, no, you're just going to die down yeah, there. Just gonna this is like horrifying. And then they just cut away. I mean, I know it's whatever. She just swims out or whatever. But I was like, oh, anyways. <laughs> um, there is a picture in the book with a giant jello, but nobody goes inside it. Okay. So it's not a castle. But inspired potentially by yeah. seeing the, yeah. the giant jello. It is funny, though, because I saw I remember seeing a video about what would happen if you made a giant pool out of jello? Mm-hmm. Some uh, guy on YouTube did it. I think um, I watched that one too. I can't remember his name. He's a guy who was a former, like, uh, he worked for like JPL, the Jet Propulsion Laboratory. He's like a NASA guy uh, who has like a YouTube channel. He's like an engineer. He has like a YouTube channel where he does engineering stuff now. And one of the videos he did, he made a, filled a pool full of jello. And uh, you can't really swim in it. Oh, particularly. Because it's either, if you get it thick enough, I don't remember. It's been a while since I watched it, but go watch. I think it seems like Mark something. Anyways. Yeah. Well, right, because it's not really a liquid. It's a very soft solid. Yeah, and if you get it to the point, then it's just kind of like a big cherry flavored or whatever flavored like pool with yeah. like gooey bits in it, Yeah. which is kind of what happened. Anyways, it's an interesting <laughs> video. If you go Google like Jello pool, but like there's probably a bunch of terrible like clickbait nonsense, but there's one guy, his name's Mark something, who's like an engineer who did it and it was interesting go watch that one in the movie the food just of uh, the, the problem becomes that the food just keeps getting bigger and bigger uh, and it's gonna start starts crushing things and uh, accumulating in the sky and accumulating in the dump and it's gonna just swallow up the whole town and they have to figure out a way to stop it is that is there runaway giant food in the movie uh, or there, book, there is runaway giant food in the book um, that's kind of where the I hesitate to call it a story because again it's not really a story right um but that is kind of where the concept of the town of chew and swallow comes to a crest in the book is that the food gets so big that it's causing a lot of damage so obviously it's unsafe to live there gotcha. at a certain point okay does the book have any sort of themes going on um and we'll get to this i guess ultimately like in the later like better in the book better in the movie and the final verdict of like what's better in each and and what they what the movie added and that sort of thing Mm -hmm. um and what you prefer and why but are there any sort of interesting themes going on in the book the one i specifically wrote down is that the movie has a a a couple pretty obvious themes about one seeking like popularity and the approval of others which is flint's whole deal is he's trying to he wants to create something, not just to create something, but so that people like respect him and like him. And, and you know, he's he's seeking that fame, uh, which is one of the big themes kind of that the movie touches on. And then another one is the sort of theme of moderation, um, because like they, they all love the food at first and it's fun. But then like it keeps they because they love it so much and they want more and more and more that it like spirals out of control and starts yeah. crushing their houses and stuff. Yeah. 
uh, particularly the mayor, but everybody, like pretty much everybody. Uh, any any sort of themes or interesting things going on in the book? Uh, I would say no. The book is pretty short on themes. Um, it's fun. Yeah. If it had a, a theme, maybe like imagination. I don't know if I'd even call that a theme. Right. That's more of but, just like a yeah, an ele- like an element or, but okay. So yeah, so no, it's not really coming out to it's it's not it's not a kid it's not a children's story like a Doctor Seuss or something. No, it's, it's coming it's out not to like teach you a whole lesson, some or, kind of lesson. Okay, is there a spaghetti and meatballs tornado? Because that was really cool in the movie when there was a giant tornado of spaghetti and meatballs. That was dope. Um, kind of. There's a tomato tornado, and the illustration has like a definite Italian food vibe. <laughs> But it wasn't a spaghetti tornado the way that it was in the movie. Gotcha. That that scene, a lot of these scenes maybe want whatever food it was, but that scene in particular really made me want spaghetti and meatballs. <laughs> the burger scene in the first part did too, but the spaghetti and meatball scene, I was like, man. Yeah. I want a tornado of spaghetti and meatballs just to destroy my house <laughs> and I'll eat my way out of the wreckage. <laughs> Is the ending of this movie similar at all to what happens in the book? So in the we talked about it, but in the end of the I talked about it in the let me sum up. But at the end of this movie, the uh, everything kind of spirals out of control. Uh, the food is going to destroy the town and eventually the world. And Flint has to save the day. While meanwhile, some of the village, like the people from the town, kind of make boats out of the food and then sail away to like evacuate the town. Um, and then eventually go somewhere else, I guess. I don't remember what they do. I don't the think they actually leave. Do they come the back? End. The I town got just, crushed. I think they just come right. I think you're right, though. Back after. I don't know why I can't remember what happens. Because the they movie. show all of the boats still like there. Yeah. Well, I mean, they go out, but I thought they're anyways. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, but is any of that similar to what happens in the book? Uh, the biggest similarity is everyone constructing boats out of the giant food, like out of the giant slices of bread, um, and then sailing away from the island. Um, other than that, not really. Because they have no, so basically they have no way to, they, they can't, they don't come up with a way to like solve this problem Mm-mm. or do anything about it. It's just, they're like, well, guess we can't live here anymore. Pretty much. I mean, because in the book, they didn't cause it to start raining right, food. Right. So there's not really anything that they can do about it. It's just kind of like, well, I guess this is what it's going to do now. Go. So I guess we have to leave. Fair enough. Okay. And that's that's what kind of, like you said, from what, what we've discussed up to this point about what happens in the book. And they're not being a main character or really much of a narrative. And it's just sort of like a documentation of this strange occurrence on this small, tiny island yeah. that the grandpa is relaying yeah. as a fun story. Um, okay, cool. Yeah, that's, like I said, that's what I figured. That's all I got for was that in the book. And I don't have Lost in Adaptation because there's nothing. I mean, the only thing that I would have been was, and, and I already asked it, which was, was there an explanation for why the food fell out of the sky if it wasn't what it is in the movie? And it wasn't what it is in the movie, but there isn't one. Mm-mm. It's magic. Maybe there is in the later books. Because we yeah, talked maybe. about there are a couple sequels yeah. to this. Um, maybe they address... Because I wonder what... I would be interested to see what happens in the sequels and if they do anything more narratively or, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of the explanation for what, why any of this is going on. Or just even what the sequels are. Like, is it well, just... One of the sequels was called Pies Over Pittsburgh, I think. Oh, so it's spreading. Yeah, so maybe it spreads in the sequel. I and don't, then maybe I they don't have know. to come up with a solution yeah. for it. Maybe it turns into a global warming <laughs> <laughs> metaphor uh, come the later <laughs> books. That would be interesting. Yeah. 
That would yeah. be very interesting. Because this one was written, I want to say, yeah, 1978. Yeah. And then the, the sequels to it were much, much later. One of them was way later. One of yeah. them I thought was... They were like not... 2000 and 2013. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Um, which were both well post... 78, we were still right. I mean, we knew about climate change, but not... Yeah. Not not in the way that most people were writing books about it, like popular fiction about it. Whereas 20, 2000 and 2013, for yeah. sure, people were well... We were well aware and... Um, so yeah, that yeah. would be interesting. And to I see mean, even even if I I wouldn't call this any kind of commentary on climate change, like this one, because there's right. there's no indication that the change in weather has anything to do with people. Right. It that, just kind of happens. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. In this one. Yeah. And then, but maybe, like I said, but maybe, maybe in maybe in they the they looked back and go, this could be an interesting direction to take it. Mm-hmm. You know, when they come back and look at it in the year 2000. Um. You know, from the us uh, from that lens and go hey we have a we have an, a, an opportunity here to kind of take this and and do something interesting with it turns out actually you know kind of like a godzilla type story where mm-hmm. like something to do with now it's that's problematic because it's usually those kind of stories have to do with like nuclear radiation and stuff which is sort of gets weird because nuclear is not the the boogeyman that a lot of people make it out to be mm-hmm. um but whatever it is, they could have come up with an interesting way to, uh, yeah, to maybe turn it into something like I don't that. Know, I'll have to see if I can get my hands on the two sequels to this. Yeah, I would just be we'll interested see to what, see we'll where see it goes. Happens, yeah. It would be real quick and easy follow up. Maybe we'll do that in bonus content yeah. for our patrons. <laughs> All right, let's. Uh, we got some. This is going to be a shorter episode because yeah. we don't have very long segments, partially because it is a, a children's picture book. Um, and partially because the movie was just okay, in my opinion. It, it was, was fine. fine. It was fine. I didn't have a lot of strong feelings about it. I yeah. had, like, fun, but, man, we'll talk about it. Yeah. We'll get to it. Uh, but we have better in the book. Let's do that. You like to read? Oh, yes. I love to read. What do you like to read? Everything. The the book really is just a concept, and I, I say that a lot when we do picture books. Right, yeah. But, like, the, the book is a concept, and then the movie has to kind of take that and run with it. And yeah. put a story to it. For sure, yeah. Um, So my segments tend to be a little bit shorter because I could... I mean, like, I could make a list of every single thing that's different, right. but that feels pointless and, and I, that's what I, I try to avoid that too in terms of like was that in the book because it's yeah. like well was this one particular image in the book was this one particular because that's to me not interesting yeah it can be interesting if it's something iconic like like the the spaghetti tornado is like this big cool thing mm-hmm. wanted to ask about that um you know that kind of stuff i'll ask about but like specific little details it's it's like oh well did okay go through everything that fell out of sky in the movie did each yeah. of these items fall out of the sky in the book like nobody cared like yeah, that's not we're not gonna make you guys listen to no, that that's boring so yeah I, I i and i think the same thing in terms of this like what's what you like better it's like oh well I, I liked this one page where this one drawing had this and that wasn't in the movie it's like well maybe i mean it could yeah. be something interesting well anyways i'll let you go but um so i have a couple things for better in the book um one thing that i want to talk about is the illustrations just like in general, because I really enjoy the art style of this book. I always have. Um, and the movie, I thought there was some cool imagery. I thought there were some stunning uh, tableaus, for lack of a better uh-huh. word. Of There's a couple really cool moments where, in, in particular, the, the, the big wide shots where the camera pulls back and we see like 
Flint standing in a corner, and then it's like this giant, like the I think the tornado, the the mm-hmm. spaghetti tornado does that. I think the first shot where the clouds are rolling in mm-hmm. after and the and the hamburgers are starting to fall. There's a few moments, a handful of moments like that where these really cool wide vistas of like crazy color yeah. and like spiraling clouds and food that look really neat and like when the ice cream ends up every you know there's a there's moments like that um but then there's other moments where like the, the character animations aren't yeah particularly the animation style i don't think is particularly interesting it feels a little like they blew the budget on those like big like mm-hmm. which makes sense for this movie like they blew the budget on these big set pieces where the you know where this is big like at the end of the movie where there's the big thing of food and there's all this like lightning and mm-hmm. nonsense going on but then so they're like couldn't spend as much time animating or or coming up with a particularly like interesting or like detailed character models and stuff yeah. like that they're just kind of like fine yeah yeah but i really love the illustrations in the book um i i talked about it a little bit in the prequel it's it kind of reminds me almost of like a a comic book yeah, or like reading the the Sunday comics. Yeah, yeah. Um, where it's a lot of it is like ink lines, mm-hmm. and then there's color behind it. Yeah. Um, and I, I really like the pages where it shifts. Um, from where the grandpa is telling the story, and then it shifts into the town of Chew and Swallow. Yeah. And then back out again yeah. to the grandpa and the grandkids at the end. The way that it blends, I think, is really well done and creative. That's cool. Maybe you can post an example of that. Just like, yeah, is there I'll, like I'll a post some pictures. Spread you could show yeah, on Facebook yeah, or on social for sure. media. Cool. So uh, the movie adds an explanation for why there is weather food, which I like and I get. Um, but I also like the idea that this place has just like existed for a long time. So we would assume and like people have lived there and it was totally normal and yeah. fine. Like, they just lived in this place where food rains down from the sky yeah. for no apparent reason. Yeah. Um, I think that's kind of an interesting... Like, I I think it, the idea of, like, the, the rocket that shoots up into the clouds and then it makes it rains food, I think that's interesting. But yeah. I think the idea that that this is just a place that exists is equally interesting. Yeah, it's also it's also interesting. I think the movie tries to kind of do both by having the town be a place that exists that literally only has sardines. It's yeah. like the weird and that's the thing that people just deal with and that's like just their life and they're like, whatever, we just only eat sardines or whatever. Which is kinda interesting, you know, in like a that surreal like mm-hmm. um it reminded me of something out of like uh, Lemony Snicket or something where they like yeah, go to and a it's, village. It's very and, Lemony Snicket. Right, where all like, we eat here is all sardines. We eat is sardines and, yeah. and everything's gray. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so I get the commentary and uh, the stakes of having them just like fling the leftovers away and it all piles up behind this dam. Um, and I like that. I like that as a thematic element. But I also like what happens in the book which is that they gather everything up and they feed all of the animals in the town. And then they some of it they put into the ocean and they feed like the fish and the whales and things. And then the rest of it they put back into the ground and like fertilize people's gardens and whatnot. Why it's do they very, have gardens? It's I guess very for wholesome. Flowers. Yeah. <laughs> it is yeah, wholesome. They have flowers. Yeah, that is wholesome. And it is a very, uh, you know, it's what you would do if you were yeah. living in this place where food fell from the sky. Although, why would you need animals? I guess... We, 
why would you need farm animals if you have well foods? the pic they're the pictures are cats and dogs oh okay to be fair okay okay, okay. i thought you're just but i guess if you don't i mean why not have we could just have farm animals as like pets you could have them as pets fun. i guess that's fair you can i've heard them. that cows are really sweet that could be the case that could be I mean, I know I also have heard that, but you could be right that that maybe they just have them as pets. And like, if you have food yeah. from the sky, it seems wild. I mean, it's already unethical to eat animals, probably. Yeah, I mean, why would but... you if all your food falls from the sky? Why yeah, would why would you go about the whole ordeal of like butchering animals when it's just like, oh, a steak just fell out of the sky? Cool, great. Like, if my steaks fell from the sky, I would be super thrilled because, yeah, yeah I mean, ethically, Vegans, you guys are probably right, probably, but you know, I'm lazy and bad. I'm a bad person, so <laughs> that's that. <laughs> that was it for better. Than that was book? it. I mean, I just, I, I just really like the concept yeah. of this, and like the idea that this this town, prior to everything turning huge and like smashing things, had to have been like a utopia. Yeah, the greatest place. Yeah. Like I mean, and what, like really, what do you need money for? You don't. You don't. It's that's where they're basically they were living in Star Trek universe. Yeah. they're living gay space communism where it's just <laughs> uh, there is no money. Food, food. They have replicators. They basically have a replicator. It's just the sky just drops yeah. food on them. So yeah, they're 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 and living then they're in, like really responsible and wholesome about it. They were part of the Federation. They could have the Federation <laughs> would have landed and would have been like, you guys, you're crushing it. We're out of here. Well, they wouldn't have landed because they don't they the prime directive, but they would have been studying them and they would have been like, you guys, good job. We're out of here. Keep eating your sky food. <laughs> All right, let's move on to better in the movie. My life has taught me one lesson, Hugo, and not the one I thought it would. Happy endings only happen in the movies. Um, all right, so I have a couple things that I want to talk about here. Um, similar to the last segment, some kind of bigger general stuff. Um, a story yeah. is a thing that the movie has. Yeah. Um, the book is incredibly charming, but it is just a concept. Uh, the movie explains, <laughs> i.e. science babbles, yeah. um, why it rains food. Uh, there's character development. Kind of. Kind of. We'll talk about which it. Which is, <laughs> yeah. you know, it, there's at least an attempt, which is cool. Yeah. No, there is. There is character development. It's just in some ways more than mm -hmm. others. Yeah. Um, and I liked the thematic elements that the movie added as well. Um, I liked the commentary on greed and, like, making more and more despite the consequences. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I liked the father-son dynamic yeah, that, that was going was, on in the movie. I thought that was cute. I thought that was well done. And I think that move, the movie did a good job with the father-son dynamic of striking a good balance of both of them needing to... It wasn't just like yeah, one person was right. Yeah, they needed to right. meet in the middle. Yeah, and which is not that like that's super uncommon, but yeah, know, still thought it was pretty well done. Um, I liked that they changed the tomato tornado to a spaghetti tornado. Um, as much as I like the tongue twister of tomato tornado. Um, spaghetti tornado was a cool visual yeah and it cool made a lot thing. of sense for like what a tornado is and yeah because it, it makes me think of like twirling spaghetti like on yeah. your fork yeah you no know? it makes perfect yeah, sense it makes perfect yeah. sense it makes perfect sense um i also loved the rat birds rat birds, rat birds. they're pretty cool gotta love that all right that was uh basically all we had for better in the movie let's move on and talk about what the movie nailed As I expected, practically perfect in every way. So what the movie nails is basically a list of like specific imagery 
that is also in the book, a lot of which I was pretty happy to see make its way into um, the movie. Uh, I thought it was cool. Uh-huh. Um, pretty early on, like right after it starts raining food in the movie, there's um, an old guy with glasses and a mustache watching the weather report on the TV and holding an umbrella and a fork and a plate. Yeah. That is an illustration from the book. And then he, in the, yeah, in, and then in the movie, he puts his umbrella down. Yeah. Unless this is a different guy, but I think it's the same guy. He puts his umbrella down and just puts his plate on his head. Yeah. <laughs> which I thought was funny. <laughs> um, pancake falling on the kid's face. Yeah, I called that one out. Yeah. Because I saw that, that on happens. the social media post. <laughs> is the kid looking like he got scalded by the... Yeah. Yeah. But uh, he's got his face, or a couple kids get pancakes in the face in the movie, but one of them has his face out of the window of a car, and it made me chuckle. <laughs> um, we talked about the cleanup truck with the giant fork and spoon yeah, and the plate. Yeah, that looks exactly it, like it. Yeah, it looks exactly like it does in the book. Yeah. Um, the giant jello um, in the book, it's like a jello sunset. Mm-hmm. Um, in the movie, I think it might have been sunrise. Yeah, I'm not sure. But there's a Could similar, either, but... yeah, there's a similar image where like it looks like it's rising up over the yeah. the horizon. Um, the restaurant with no roof. I was all gonna ask about that, and then I yeah. forgot. The restaurant with no roof is from the book. Uh, the giant pancake covering the school, which I also posted on yeah, our social media. I thought that was from the book. Um, there's an image of donuts rolling down the street yeah. in both the book and the movie. Um, and then at the end when they escape on the boats. And the boats, I think, are like um, bit for bit. Like they're made out of giant pieces of bread and then the sails are like bacon peas, cheese, peas. <laughs> cheese. <laughs> cheese and pizza. Yeah. I tried I to like, combine them. That's a terrible sale. I don't know how you make a sale out of peas. I mean, I don't know that cheese and pizza would be any better. Cheese is a much better sale than If we're using Swiss, though. Why would you use Swiss? They is that were what using they use in the movie? Swiss, yeah. yeah. That is what they use in the movie. It's got yeah. holes in it. Come on, guys. Yeah, that's a terrible idea. Um, yeah, so in that regard, maybe not a lot better. But. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to... Since... What the movie nailed was basically like specific images. Yeah. I'm going to try to post some side by sides yeah. at some point. Yeah, that would be really cool. Uh, I'm thinking I might have to scrub back through the movie. Yeah, it's on To Netflix, take pictures. So. Yeah, that's fine. Um, you can do that. Because uh, I tried to like Google it and I could only find a couple of the specific screenshots. Yeah, we can go, we can go through it and get yeah. it. So, um, so be on the lookout for that. And I'll, I'll do some side-by-sides for you guys. Perfect. So that was it for the movie Nailed It. We've got a few odds and ends before we get to the final verdict. So my one of my main issues with the movie was that I felt like it had some pacing issues. It's a real breakneck speed. Yeah. Um like that that the... first like 30 40 minutes, boy, we really scooted through. Yeah. The setup and like the setup to the setup yeah. for this story. I appreciate I mean them keeping it an hour 30, but it could have been like an hour 45. Yeah. It's still been like a reasonable kids length, kids movie length and and it felt like it could have maybe gave us a little more time to get going mm-hmm. um and i have a, a a thing later on that i felt like that was sort of just wrapped up very quickly and succinctly at the end uh, which we'll get to here in a minute but yeah i, I thought the same thing the pacing was a little uh, not yeah. ideal 
it, it was yeah, it was a little all over the place. I think I asked you like at one point I was like, how far are we into this? Because I feel like we've already covered a lot of ground. Yeah, and we were only like thirty minutes yeah. in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we, a lot happens very quickly, which yeah. can be fine. I think it works okay, but they definitely could have slowed it down just a little bit. Yeah, I feel like and would have. Could have uh, given uh, a little space to breathe. Yeah, definitely would have helped, I think. Um, let's talk about some of the... Because we both have a lot of no- several notes about this. Um, and I think this might as good a place as any to talk about it. Which is the uh, Sam Sparks' character. Uh-huh. Uh, who the female um, news reporter. Or a weather uh, weather anchor or whatever. She's introduced uh, the, the by the male news guy at the station going... Uh, she's pretty and perky... Or yeah. she's cute and perky, and that's all Weather Girl needs to be, or something like that. And then we find out over the course of time that she's over the course of the movie that she's actually much smarter than she lets on, um, and that mm-hmm. she sort of plays dumber than she is uh, to kind of fit in and that sort of thing. And one of the big moments that we both have a note on is that so she shows up to cover this story. They basically just send her down there to cover the food. Well, to cover the, the initially it's the sardine park, the sardine park that they're building. But then it turns into the food coverage story and she stays and just keeps covering it. Um, and so her and Flint sort of end up talking and then kind of getting in, you know, having forming a friendship or bond or whatever. Um, there's a moment in the Jello castle where he uh she talks she has glasses mm-hmm. and she pulls them out and says um oh i need these i can't see anything and then he puts them on her and then he gets a he makes a he makes her a jello scrunchie, scrunchie which makes which no sense gross but and weird but uh and he puts her hair up and then he's like oh perfect you're beautiful and so we talked about this trope which uh-huh. this is a trope in not this but the trope of in movies of the yeah, cute it's, girl. It's a rom com trope. The cute girl who uh, doesn't realize she's cute, who has her hair up and and big glasses mm-hmm. and you know paint on her face or whatever, and then she cleans herself up, puts her hair down, takes her glasses off, and now wow, she's beautiful. She's hot. She's yeah. a hot girl now. And so that's a that's a problematic trope, and it's a big trope in movies. And then this one does the reverse. And now we talked by having you know. To put her hair up, or right, she puts on her glasses, puts on her and glasses, puts her, puts her hair, her hair up, up, and, up, and, then, and then the guy's like, "Wow, you're gorgeous." Um, my problem with it, so so scary stories to tell in the dark did this exact thing, yes, but they did it so much better. That was one of my favorite moments in that movie. I thought it felt so much better because she she didn't. So she started with the glasses. Mm-hmm. I think that's the big difference is that in scary stories to tell in the dark, that character started with the glasses and stuff, and then she takes them off herself. And then, yeah. she, and then the guy gives her back her glasses at the end, and she puts them back on. Right. Well, I, and I think what helped in Scary Stories, too, was that um, it wasn't tied up in the idea of her needing to look a certain way. That's the thing, I think. So this one, he... Yes, and, and this one feels gross to me because the guy... Because Flint, like, gives her permission to wear the yeah. glasses and put her hair up, and he's like, now... You're really gorgeous before. And and it's just this weird thing where it, it, it feels it feels like they were trying to subvert that trope in a way that was like empowering. 
or is what it felt mm-hmm. like. It felt like, and it, this movie was written by two dudes, but it very clearly felt like a scene written by two dudes trying to be like, look, girls, you're pretty with glasses. Because, like, there's a way to do that that's, like, not weird. Yeah. Well, and it, it is, I mean, technically it is a subversion of the trope. Technically. Yeah. But it's, a one, a really, really basic subversion of it like there's zero thought behind this it's like oh the trope is she takes her glasses off we'll have her put her glasses on yeah Yeah. aren't we clever yeah and then the other problem is that it's coming from her love interest yeah her her male love interest yeah and it and it's at, at that time i want to add is very clearly interested in her but we don't know yet no. how she feels about him. No. Their whole relationship's problematic. I didn't yeah. like their their whole relationship felt of uh, like it was written in two thousand in the early two thousands. Mm-hmm. Now this is like two thousand eight or two thousand nine. Although they started making this movie in like two thousand three, so who knows what aspects of that? But it it felt like a very like that time period where it was just yeah, it just felt gross and it, and it felt uh, there's like like one like I said he. Basically, Flint like gives her permission to put these glasses on, and all mm-hmm. these other men have told her she's got to look a certain way. But he sees her beautiful in, in this yeah. other way. But like, he gives her permission to be like less conventionally attractive. And I feel like there's baggage the way that's there. And I and I, I think, and I was hoping they were gonna do something with it. Like maybe it was gonna go somewhere, and it almost does. Oh boy, there's so many layers to this. Like <laughs> I know what they were going for. But I think what and, and what they're going for was a very 2007 and like male written way of like female empowerment of like, oh, you don't have to be the beautiful, gorgeous women that men d- demand you to yeah. be. You And you don't have to pretend to be dumb. But she can also like I would have liked if it, but it also feels like they they did that by having a guy tell her that as yeah. opposed to her realizing that is what the weird like gross part of it is so like that doesn't feel any more empowering it's just a different guy telling her how to be yeah basically yeah so it's like okay well okay there's well, not what are... really a difference no there. there's not a difference there um, and they thought they made a difference that's the thing and, and that's what feels even weirder and grosser yeah. about it is they felt like they made a difference and now it feels like they've come a long way in their writing and their thinking since then because i you know i got none of those vibes really from uh, into the Spider Verse, which mm-hmm. they wrote, um, and they don't really go into. It's a little bit different, but the, the relationship between uh, Miles and what's her name, um, Gwen, Gwen felt a lot better. Yeah, in in Into the Spider Verse than this one did. And I think the other thing too is that it, it also it, it it sort of unconsciously reinforces the idea that you can't both be smart and attractive. Yeah, not to say that she isn't attractive with the glasses, but like. That there's some sort of, like, you have to fit into one of these molds. Like, you can only be, like, conventionally attractive and dumb or, un- like... You can wear glasses Or you can wear glasses smart. and be smart. Like, you can't, like, be conventionally attractive and be smart or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, it just feels like this weird, like, shoehorning no matter, like, yeah. putting uh, women into this weird mold no matter how you do it. Whereas it's just, like, let her decide what, how smart she is and, and, and or not how smart she is, but you know how, what she wants to look like. And, and I was really hoping that we'd get to the end of the movie and she would go, I actually prefer not wearing glasses yeah, or something like that. You know what I mean? Like he's like puts them on her and he's, she's like, Oh, and then like, maybe it's a given and a take in that regard to where like 
he kind of opens her up to the idea that you don't have to pretend to be dumb or whatever. Like that's, you know, and then, but then she goes, yeah, but I prefer like my hair down and to now mm-hmm. or something just so it felt like she had more agency like than she seems to. Um, because, and that's where I was hoping we would get more of later in the movie, which we don't get a ton of is Mm-mm. she calls him out a couple times because Flint is like the epitome of the adorable misogynist yeah. in this movie. Yeah. Um, which there's a great video. I think it's pop culture detective. I can't remember who it is who did a video about um, Big Bang Theory mm-hmm. uh, about that trope, and he kind of fits right into it with his like leaning in for kisses at awkward moment. Oh, look how Dory! He doesn't know when that you know, and and the whole thing with the glasses, like just sort of everything about his character, and he lying to her about. Yeah. Uh, he, he lies to her. One of the running storylines, and it becomes a thing later, is he lies to her. She says she has a peanut allergy. And he says, I do too, to have something in common with her, to try to impress her because he wants to get into a relationship with her. And at the end of the movie, and this is what was really disappointing to me, they come to a place that ha- in this big maelstrom of food or whatever that has like peanut brittle. Mm-hmm. And she's like, well, neither of us can go down there uh, because of where our peanut allergies. And he goes, well, actually, I lied. And she immediately is fine with it. Yeah. She's like, hey, why? She says something. She calls she him out says a little. Like, like I feel like the harshest she gets. She says, like, did you really think that that was gonna make me like you or something yeah. like that? Yeah, that's what it is. She goes, did you think that was gonna make me like you? And then he goes, oh, I don't know. Uh, and then he goes down in the hole, and then he confesses his like like for her. He says yeah. he likes her, and she immediately is like, yeah, I like you too. And it just yeah. feels like there's no, like, repercussions no, for the moment not. of him having lied to her about this thing. She's just like, oh, that that was gross. And the, the other thing, the other moment that I thought was weird is that there's the moment where he um, he says ladies first when they're, like, jumping out of the, the flying car or whatever. Mm-hmm. And she gives him a look like, and again, it's one of those moments that the writers felt like, nice, girl power. But then, like, they, there's no commentary. She doesn't call him out. She gives him a look. But it's all very subtle and mm-hmm. like under and, and I'm like, OK, so if your goal was to do this like subtle critique of like this misogyny thing he's got going on, why would you be so why be so subtle about it in this kids movie when everything else is so overt, like the whole father son relationship is literally the dad at the end gets a brain translator on that (laughs) expresses exactly what his feelings are and why he has such a hard time connecting with his son. But then we're, we're going to like do this vague limp wristed Mm, critique. You know why? Yeah, no, I know exactly why I'm just saying, I'm just saying I was like very disappointing and it kind of, it was detracted from the movie for me just because it felt, it, it just felt so wishy washy and like, it's the same thing. You said. It's what you said earlier, where it's like you can see they're trying to be like vaguely yeah. progressive, but also like I, mm, I think they wanted the cookie for doing that, right? But they didn't necessarily want to put the work into developing that element of the story, right? I think, yeah, I yeah, I think it's that, and I also think it's like I said, I think it's like, well, they would if you asked them that in the moment, they would go, well, we don't like when a movie gets super preachy and comes out, and and if like it would have felt weird for her to come out and be like, dude, you're being an asshole, or dude, you know, like if she yeah. came out and called out his his like weird sort of innate unconscious misogyny that he's got going on over the course of this movie, if she came out and called it out, that would feel like preachy and weird, and it's like. Okay, I mean, sure, maybe. Like, you can do stuff subtly and do it well. But in this movie, 
the the metaphor for for greed is giant food just continuously yeah. falling out of the sky and getting bigger and bigger and a mayor growing to 800 pounds and then eating the ship he's on and then literally the father-son relationship um message that you're selling is like i said the dad having his mind read by a machine and just expressing exactly what his feelings and why he feels the way he does nothing else is subtle in this movie why would that be the yeah. thing that's subtle yeah it's Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyways, I yeah, that was that was not. Anyway. And not if agreed. I may harp on a smaller point for a moment, girl, just get you some contacts. True. We know they exist in this universe. We know universe. they exist in this universe, which is why it bothers me. If we didn't have that other very explicit contact lens <laughs> yeah, scene, right? it wouldn't bother me. Yeah. But we do, so it does. I am wondering if because of that, if maybe there's something cut out of the movie. Like, maybe she yeah. does just get contacts eventually later or something. Yeah, maybe. Or who knows? I don't know. Because that is such a specific reference. Because Mr. T, policeman, is like, contact limbs. And then <laughs> she just is blind. Yeah, she Look. just walks around without her glasses on, not able to see. Yeah, and she's not stupid. That's the thing. It's like, she's not a dummy. Yeah. Like, she knows. She knows contacts exist. She could probably make her own contact <laughs> lenses based on what we hear her say in this movie. Yeah. Maybe was... she doesn't have health care. Yeah. Not very likely. Oh, <laughs> uh, working as a uh, she's an intern, so no, she doesn't. Yeah, she they probably doesn't she's have the vision intern. coverage. They say she's the intern, so well, she has health insurance. She'd have vision is very cheap. Add on to <laughs> the health insurance. The, the insurance itself is the the hard part. The TV looting a person made me laugh. There's a moment later where when stuff starts to go crazy, a guy break the the window of a TV store breaks and a guy runs up. And pulls a TV out and runs away. And then they set up earlier that one of the kit, one of Flint's inventions when he was a child was a, a remote control TV that you turn it on, you use the remote, and then it sprouts legs and walks over to you so you can change the channel. Yeah. And then it just runs out the door and we never <laughs> see it again. But then at this moment, like way later in the movie, it runs into the store and pulls the clerk out and runs <laughs> out, which was very hilarious to me. And I was not prepared for it and I laughed a lot at it. Uh, that moment was was delightful i was a little disappointed though that they missed the obvious trope of having a cow swirling around in their spaghetti tornado they could not katie have had a cow because they only had sardines in this town <laughs> where would the if they had cows they would have been eating you know, steaks and burgers before this i'm gonna call shenanigans on that concept though because we know they have coffee do we because he takes a coffee break True. Oh, you're right. Plot holes. Also, concept he knows holes. what a burger is. I guess yeah. they would know what those things are. Because I think the idea, the concept was, that, at least for some of that, was that this island that they live on is so remote that they can't get stuff. Yeah. But yeah, they do. He does have coffee. He does have coffee. Maybe they can grow coffee and they have sardines and that's it. Coffee and sardines. Coffee and sardines. This is the Ugh. only things they have. <laughs> you know, if I had seen this movie and I didn't... Uh, and I had known that this was uh, Phil Lord and Chris Miller. Did I do that right? Christopher Miller that wrote it and directed it. I would have been way less surprised by the visual style and the things that go on in. I'm actually glad I didn't because Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse probably may not have impressed me as much. Mm -hmm. Now, they weren't directing that, that they did write it or at least one of them wrote it and they were producers on it. So they were involved in a lot of the creative process. Well, it's both. They're both Sony. 
Yeah, and they're both Sony, so I'm sure a lot of the same people worked on them. Um, But the visual climax of both of these movies had similarities that reminded me a lot of each other. Mm -hmm. Uh, The, 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 like, pink swirling. Yeah. Like, when they get into the, what is it, the, whatever the machine, the particle accelerator or whatever Mm -hmm. in um, Into the Spider-Verse where everything's going crazy. uh, It reminded me of, like, the moment when they're flying up to the big meatball thing. Mm -hmm. And there's, like, all these, like, I was like, oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's that makes very sense. Very visually similar kind of thing, and there's a there's also a sequence where um, Flint is running through down the street and like jumping over cars and stuff, mm-hmm. and like bouncing off stuff, and it's the tornado sequence. And then he like ends up catching a thing as it flies by and flying by away on the tornado. And it reminded me of a sequence straight out of like love of like I was like, oh, if you just like gave him spider webs while he was doing <laughs> this, you're like watching Spider Man right now. I thought there was some pretty gross imagery inside the oh the food cloud meatball particularly disgusting um food things going on particularly disgusting like movement oh yeah lots of pulsating yeah and undulating yeah very gross very gross intentionally so obviously but very disgusting Uh, effective (laughs) in that regard like i said it's so funny how uh, in contrast the some of the visuals are in terms of like how effective some of that stuff is and some of the food like landscapes for lack of a better word versus like some of the more generic like mm-hmm. mundane like characters and stuff all right that was it for our general discussion our odds and ends katie's about to hit us with the final verdict now uh, are you ready for your sentence sentence but there must be a verdict first sentence first verdict afterwards so this is a tough one um, the book is one of my childhood favorites. I love the art style. I love the sheer imaginative concepts that the book brings to the table. Uh, on the other hand, as far as story goes, the movie obviously has more going on. Has a story. Yeah. On the other other hand, uh, I had a couple issues with the movie. Um, I thought the pacing was off. I thought that it was maybe trying to do... Like too little but also or like too much but also like not enough at once like i felt like there was a lot going on but also like maybe not enough yeah i don't know yeah i mean there's a lot of chaos going on but also there's it's a pretty bare bones yeah narrative like, yeah it, yeah it's interesting. Uh, and i also thought there were some definite problematic elements vis-a-vis uh the portrayal of sam and her relationship with Flint. I think this time I'm going to give it to the book. Okay. And I think I'm going to give it to the book because the concepts are so similar that I I kind of prefer the idea of being able to like impose your own story onto that concept. Yeah, yeah. Um and I, I mean we did it just sitting here. Yeah. Started talking yeah. about like what if this was a planet in Star Trek? Yeah, yeah, you're like, right, yeah. like so. I, I think. Yeah, you're right. I think the movie definitely has its categories where it would supersede the book. Yeah. Um. It's funnier, probably. Or yeah, like, yeah, it's funnier. It's it's got uh, more thematic elements. It's yeah. got a story to it. But I, I think for me, for this time, I'm gonna go ahead and and give it to the book. Um on the basis of concept and being able to like apply your own story to that concept. Fantastic. I think that's a delightful and absolutely valid decision. 
It seems fine. <laughs> like I said, I thought the movie was just okay. Um, so yeah, that's going to do it for this episode of This Film Was Lit. Uh, before we announce what our next thing's going to be, which Katie has notes for and is going to tell you about in just a second, we could do us a, fa- a big, huge favor. A couple things you could rate us and review us on iTunes or wherever you listen to our podcast that has ratings and reviews, primarily iTunes. You could follow us on all the social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Goodreads, and Reddit. Uh, I believe that's all. And most recently, you can support us on Patreon. Like I said at the beginning, just go to patreon.com slash thisfilmislit. Support us at any of the levels would be outstanding, but the $5 level gets you bonus content, mm-hmm. um, which includes, like I said, our discussion of The Mandalorian, our discussion of Dollface, will include our discussion of Knives Out, and the rest of The Mandalorian, and the rest of Dollface. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, uh, and, and much more to come after that. So, if you could do that for us, that would be just incredible, and we would love you forever for it. Katie, what's next? Up next, we are starting our holiday extravaganza. Holiday extravaganza. And we are going to be talking about Die Hard. Yeah. We were going to do this last year, and then we. We switched it at the last minute for something else. Yeah. Sweet. Die Hard, which is based on a book which nobody knows. Mm -hmm. Uh, and is kind of a Christmas movie. I was actually thinking maybe for the prequel, we could uh, present the major arguments <laughs> for and against it. Uh, being a we Christmas could, movie. we could, we could rehash that old uh, that old canard um, and and see which side we come down on. Well, I see, come down on the side of I don't care. I've never <laughs> seen it. Yeah, you've never seen it. That's so true. then we could revisit that in the main episode. See what you think. see. What I think about it. I'm very staunchly in the side of, sure, it's a Christmas movie, but not really. (laughs) Which is not really... I'm solidly in the not taking a stand side of this this argument. Same in my my GIF GIF. Uh, That that whole spiel, I'm on like, yep, both are fine. (laughs) Cool. But anyways. uh, Yeah, so, Die Hard, that's going to be the next one. Come back for our prequel episode in one week, where we will maybe break down whether or not it's a Christmas movie. You already know my opinion. (laughs) And then in two weeks, we'll break down Die Hard, the film, and the novel it's based on. Until that time, guys, gals, non-binary, and everybody else. Keep reading books. Keep watching movies. And and keep keep being awesome. awesome.